When Lenore Skenazy caused a stir in 2008 for letting her nine-year-old ride the New York subway alone, the anxiety rate for American teenagers was about 5%. She was pilloried for her decision. She was even told it was child abuse. Well, now the teen anxiety rate is around 15%. Some research backs what she has always said, that when kids are under constant surveillance, it can induce anxiety, while unsupervised activity helps develop resilience. Lenore works now to give kids back the voice that many have lost from overparenting. She's the founder of the non-profit's Free Range Kids, and she's president of Let Grow. Lenore Skenazy joins me now. Hi. Well, hello over there, Jesse. Hi. Uh, nice to talk to you. I bet you wish you had a dollar for every time you've told that story about letting your nine-year-old son <laughs> ride the subway Wouldn't alone and, and the resulting backlash. Yeah, it was um, it was a wild time. And normally I have American audiences and I impress them by the television shows I was on immediately after <laughs> writing a column about letting the, the, the boy ride the subway alone. But you guys won't care. So let's just say there was a, 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 a firestorm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are things any different now uh, or are parents under as much pressure as they were then to intensely supervise their kids? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like uh, when I, you know, first came into whatever prominence this is, uh, people were really saying that this was crazy and child abuse and neglect and anything could happen. And, you know, why would you do this to an innocent child? Mm. Um, And now there are a lot of people recognizing the connection between a culture that has increasingly um, grown to like oversee everything the kids do, eat, see, read, watch, lick, listen to. And and there's a recognition, as you were saying, that the kids are getting more anxious the more we worry about them and hover over them. However, we're also living in a culture where you can track your kids every single second of the day. I mean, they're they're not only tracked by Find My iPhone, but then their schools are sending home their grades immediately. Mm. Schools often send home um, reports during the day of how their children are behaving. Once the kids get out of school, they're driven to an activity. Often the activity requires that the parents stay and watch them and sign them out. Then they come home and they do their homework. And often the schools make them sign their reading log and, and attest to the fact that their child read for 20 minutes on the dot. <laughs> and so there, the culture itself has made it really hard for parents who believe in independence to even take a step back and give it to them. You recently wrote that when everyone in a society shares a crazy belief, they don't know it's crazy. What are some of the stories <laughs> you've heard about parents who get criticized like you were for, for letting their kids out of their sight? Oh, gosh, I'll just tell you a quickie, which was that um, I was talking to a friend down in suburban Kentucky. I think there's nothing sleepier than suburban Kentucky. I say this from (laughs) New York City. Right. And so he let his 12 year old go to her friend's house, which is two houses away. And at the end of the play date, which shouldn't even be called a play date, it's just at the end of some time that they spent together. The mother of the other girl walked his 12 year old home. Those two houses must have taken 37 seconds. Um, because she just wanted the child to be safe. And the thing about it is I don't think that she was just showing, look what a good mom I am, or why don't you care about your kid? I think that parents have really come to believe that literally every second is fraught with danger. And if they take their eyes off their kids for, you know, two houses worth, (laughs) that that child might never survive. I mean, 
and, and they don't know why they're doing it. I'll tell another quick story, which is that um, a dad of a seven-year-old I was talking to in Washington, D.C., said that every morning he and he walks his seven-year-old to the bus stop, which is um, like a block away from his home. And then he stands with her until the bus arrives and then he makes sure that she gets on the bus and leaves. And I said, why do you do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, didn't, didn't you walk to the bus stop? Yes. Didn't you walk to school sometimes? Yes. Okay, so why do you do that? And he paused and he said, I, I have no idea. <laughs> and, and the reason he's doing it is because he doesn't have any idea. It's in the water here. It's just part of our culture that it has come become normal to think that at any time a child is unsupervised, they are automatically in danger. And who puts a kid in danger? Only a terrible parent. You don't want to be a terrible parent. So you're always with your kids. And that's it. I, I mean, people think I'm anti-helicopter parent. I'm anti a culture that has so normalized uh, helicopter parenting that you don't have a choice. You have to do that. Yeah. The objection, I suppose, is that, hey, the, the chances of something happening to a child in that uh, situation are very small. But what could happen is so terrible. Why would you take the risk when it's just 30 seconds to run them back to their parents' house? Well, you opened this segment with the statistics about how childhood anxiety has gone up uh, 10% just in, you know, a couple of years. And that's a danger too. <laughs> and and yet it's sort of one that we give short shrift to because mm. we're so busy thinking about the boogeyman mm -hmm. that we don't think about what it means to raise kids who feel inept, untrusted, um, incompetent, scared, and most of all, anxious. I mean, anxiety is the feeling that something is too much for you to do. If you, if you try it, you will fail. And if you fail, it will be catastrophic. And that's what you're telling kids when you're walking them two houses home, that I don't think you can do this without something terrible happening to you. And the discrepancy between you know how unlikely that is and how likely it is that your child is going to end up depressed or anxious or passive or worse is pretty great. What are some of the characteristics of, of what you call the fragile generation? Well, it's just what we're hearing a lot about. Um, on campus, the, the mental health services are overrun. And I'm pro-mental health services. Mm. If, you know, I, I don't think there should be any, uh, any embarrassment about seeking help when you need it. And my God, I live in New York City. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're ground zero for uh, therapy, right? Which I love. However... <laughs> You want to raise kids who can get through some things on their own without feeling that they are falling apart. And we've heard of, of kids going to, you know, seek mental health help for there was a mouse in the dorm. Uh, they had an argument with their roommate, a, a bad grade. And I feel for these kids because they've been so protected from you know, bad feelings from bad outcomes. Teachers have been called by parents. Professors have been called by parents. Parents have, you know, gone to school with their kids and stayed there for a, the first week of college, helping them to adjust. So, you know, it's not a surprise that kids are fragile or falling behind, but it is sad. And the only thing I've seen that changes both parents and children enough so that they start letting go is literally letting go, which is why, um, you know, the nonprofit that I'm running now or charity, I guess you call it, Let Grow, has one of its big uh, initiatives is getting schools to uh, to send kids home with the homework assignment, which is free. It's on our site mm. um, called the Let Grow Experience that just says, 
go home and do something new on your own <laughs> with your parents' permission, but without your parent. And I, I, I actually have my little pad of paper here. I was at a school the other day, K through five, it's ages like five through 11, yeah. where the kids had done their Lecbro projects for two two months in a row. And some of the things, I mean, like you're asking, what are some examples of what's happening in our culture? One of the kids who was in third grade, which is about an eight-year-old, said that for his Let Grow project, quote, I learned to make my own sandwich. Now, I'm sorry. To me, that's... I'm sorry. That made me yes, laugh. right. <laughs> yeah, it makes you laugh and it also makes you cry and it makes you, you know, sigh and it makes you cheer because how outrageous that a kid didn't know how to make a sandwich. And I talked to his teacher and sure enough, he did have trouble, you know, with the whole concept because somebody had always been helping him. But as he continued on, on the little leaves, we... We suggest that a school doing the Lecro project give every kid a pretend leaf, just a piece of paper, and they write what they did for their project and then, you know, what was the impact or how it went or whatever. And what he said on the bottom part of his leaf was, now I don't need help if I get hungry, which is a world opening to him. Mm. You know, I mean, it really is. If you've been a kid who like your stomach is rumbling and unless somebody knows like where the bread is or how to spread the peanut butter... Um, you know, you've been sort of caged, you've been stuck, and now he isn't. And and another kid wrote that he went down in the elevator by himself. This is New York City. There's doormen in all these buildings. Mm. These were private school kids. And so it is super safe to go in your elevator. Um, so once again, it seems crazy that he's like, has he never gone upstairs or downstairs in his own building by himself? But he hadn't. But that but he learned, he goes, I learned that even if I am by myself, it will be okay. Gosh. And yeah, I know it's gosh, but I was telling this to uh, an actual uh, psychologist and he said, this is exactly what you hope for. You hope for a generalizing of, you know, the bravery or the confidence. Yeah, yeah. He didn't just say, now I can go up and down in the elevator some more. He said, now I don't, you know, what does he say? I just, I just flipped over the page. Um, even if I'm by myself, it will be okay. And that's, that's a big thing to learn. And I'll just tell you one last kid. Mm. This was a fifth grader. And she decided to take a regular city bus here in the city. So she said, I felt scared when I'm uh, on when I am alone on the bus. I felt like every stranger was watching me, which is not a surprise because the first time you're doing anything, you're really self-conscious. And if you've been told that, you know, stranger danger and yeah. beware and be alert, it would seem scary. But she said that now I am not scared or nervous anymore. That's the opposite of anxiety. Love that. Lenore Skenazy is my guest. Uh, she is the founder of the nonprofit's Free Range Kids, and she's president of Let Grow. And we're talking about some of the ways in which we may have gone wrong with parenting in the last few years, how over surveillance may have led to anxiety and other problems. Um, and the interesting thing is, Lenore, that actually today's parents want the best for their kids. Um, some of them, millennial parents, are obsessed with research. So, <laughs> what's continuing? To, to drive the surveillance culture and the overparenting, if the facts tell us our fears aren't really justified and, in fact, we could be doing more harm than good? Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I feel like the facts and the evidence are just coming in. As you said, I've been talking about this mm. since 2008 when I was considered the most controversial blogger or mommy <laughs> blogger or something for years and years and years. And and now we just had, uh, there's an article published here in America in the very prestigious Journal of Pediatrics that traced the, uh, the what is it, the decline in children's independence 
and the rise in their anxiety and depression. And uh, the, the authors proved that it wasn't just correlation, but causation, as which you can understand in your own life, right? If you're micromanaged, if somebody's always saying, oh, that's too much for you, or oh, I don't think you're going to mm. do that well, or I love you, but let me, or, or if your wife was tracking your every move, <laughs> oh, I trust you, honey. I just wonder why <laughs> did you stop at 2741 Allison Lane today? Just curious, you would feel anxious and depressed yourself. So so the evidence is coming in, and why aren't people heeding it? I think that some people are, but there was more evidence. There was a University of Michigan study published like a month or two ago that said that parents desperately know, they, they know and want to give their children independence. They recognize that it's good for their development, you know, for their um, their resilience, their confidence, their competence. But as the, the, the study actually put used this phrase, which I like, but there was a quote unquote sizable gap <laughs> between the things the parents thought that their kids should be doing or could be doing and, and wanted their kids to be doing and what they actually let them do. And in the study, the parents of children ages nine to 11, which is like Tom Sawyer age, uh, the majority of them would not let them walk to a friend's house, would not let them play in a park with a friend, and then 50% of them wouldn't let these kids, 9 to 11, we're talking double digits, <laughs> um, go to another aisle in the store, right? They're shopping at the store. You mm. can't say, honey, I forgot to get the peas. Will you go over mm. there? They, they feel too scared to do that. So I feel like they know what's right, but they've been so conditioned to never let their kids out of their sight that they can't, which is why the Let Grow experience, the Let Grow project, all of our Let Grow stuff that's free for schools is so crucial because when everyone in the school is getting the homework assignment, go home and do something without your parents, that gives parents both the the guiltlessness, you know, okay, they, I got to do it. You know, the school is mm. saying I got to do it. I don't want my kid to flunk. But also the safety in numbers, everybody is doing it. It's not me, the crazy mom, who's putting my mm -hmm. kid, who's letting my kid go get the peas, for God's sake. It's everybody is doing something. And the kids are talking to each other. I got to go get ice cream. Oh, really? I got to get the peas. You know, <laughs> how come I can't have your mom? Yeah. So it really is, it, you need the experience of letting the kid go before you can let the kid go, which is a tautology. It doesn't happen. And so the Lecro project makes the the freedom happened whether you were willing or not, whether you were ready or not. And only after then do you realize like, oh my God, of course my kid was ready. I mean, the thing we hear the most from parents is, I had no idea my kid could do this or how come we weren't letting her do this already? I mean, those are like, I should just go around recording people because that <laughs> is what they say. And then they're happy and the kids are happy. It's it's like a win-win-win. I wonder if there's a human tendency, even an evolutionary tendency to ignore dangers that don't involve bloodshed and physical harm. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. I mean, really, we're talking long-term harm versus imagining yeah. yourself on the cover of the newspaper the yeah, next day. Yeah. And 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 of course, we you know we've had I'd say forty years of obsession with uh, stranger danger and child abduction here in America ever since the eighties when there were a couple of high-profile kidnappings. And then I don't know if you did this in New Zealand, but here in America, at in the eighties, they started printing the pictures of missing children yeah. on milk cartons. <laughs> no, we've seen it. We've seen <laughs> the, it in American sitcoms. Yeah. It's in sitcoms. Good. That's that's where it should be. But it used to be on the table with next mm. to the cereal. <laughs> and it really convinced people that all these children were being kidnapped without because there was no context. And yeah. the context is that most missing children are runaways. Or they're taken in a divorced, you know, divorced yeah. parents' custodial dispute, and and that there's never an asterisk on those pictures, so you assume that they were all taken by the boogeyman.
What happens when a therapist working with your organisation, Let Grow, actually tested independence theory as a way to combat anxiety? Well, this was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you know, you're talking about where's the evidence? Yeah. We have this teeny uh, but golden piece of evidence now. So uh, there's a professor of psychology here in New York at Long Island University named Camilo Ortiz. And he had heard about the Let Grow Project and he thought, gosh, I work with kids who have an actual diagnosis of anxiety, not just garden variety mm. kids. And I wonder if independence might work as therapy because, you know, he recognized that the culture had become so overprotective. So he and a doctoral student named Matt Fastman recruited four families where the kid had a diagnosis of anxiety. And they they met with the parents first without the child there. And they talked to the parents about the importance of independence and why it seems to work, you know, why it seems to make kids braver and um, less anxious. And so once they had the parental buy-in, then they met for four sessions with the kid and with the kid and the parents. And they asked the kid, even though in the in the like I'll just give you one example. One boy was 10 years old, a little developmentally delayed and small. So his parents were very worried for him. And he had internalized all this worry. And he was afraid to go upstairs or downstairs in his own home without his mom or dad with him. That's how anxious he was. But even he (laughs) went in the office with Camilo. When Camillo doesn't say, oh, I hear, you know, normally with cognitive behavioral therapy, you do exposure therapy. You know that the child is afraid to go upstairs in their own home. So you say, how about today, just for five minutes, you go up there alone. That's exposed. You're exposed yeah. to the thing that scares you. Yeah. But that's that's painful for the kid. It's painful for the parent. And it's sometimes painful for the therapist. So instead, he just totally ignored what the kid was worried about and, and the sort of original complaint. And he asked the kid instead, he's like, look, we've been talking about independence. We love independence. You're 10. Time for you to start doing some stuff on your own. What is there that you would like to do? So it's framed in this very positive way. You're a growing kid. I know you can do things. What do you want to do? And it turns out that even these very anxious kids had things they wanted to do on their own. One girl wanted to sell bracelets at school and somebody wanted to take the the local bus and kids wanted, somebody wanted to play chess in the park, whatever. This boy wanted to walk home from school. So, you know, the parents have to let him, right? Because that's part of the therapy. So the day he set to walk home from school, his mom took the day off work because she was so nervous. She couldn't, she was beside herself with worry, 10 years old. But you know what? He walked home. It was no big deal. He got home. He's happy. He's sweaty, whatever. And then the next day he walked home again and the mom did not have to take the day off work mm-hmm. because she was she herself was growing more brave. And so then another thing he wanted to do was take the Long Island Railroad. It's a commuter railroad. Um, four stops or however that's whatever it is. That's the number that they agreed on. And so the parents put him on the train, you know, at the first stop and then they were going to pick him up at the fourth stop. It, he did it. It worked fine. And And after that, he had to do the whole idea of the independence as therapy or independence therapy is that you have to do an independent activity either once a day or once every other day. So I have no idea what the other things he did were, but he finished, he's completed his five, for him, it's four weeks of this therapy. And that was over the summer. Along comes September, which is when we start our school year. And he's starting sixth grade, which is a new school. And the school sends home a notice, you know, this is a big first day of school. We know it's going to be overwhelming for you kids. You're going to get a, a locker and a combination and you're going to get your homeroom and find out who your homeroom teacher is and see who the other kids are in your class. So we know this is a big day. It's a big step, big transition. So of course you can bring your parents with you if you like. 
And, and this kid, this diminutive, you know, the delayed mm. child turns to his parents and he says, I got this. Mm. And, and he went by himself to this first day of school and he was fine. And he came home and he told his parents, guess what? I was like almost the only kid there without a parent. And so the the fear that seems so deeply ingrained in both the parents and the kid turns out to be easy to crack the second you actually let your kid go and you get the reinforcement, the jolt of joy of seeing your kid do something on their own. That's what we're hardwired to, to live for as parents, recognizing that our kids are blossoming and they're going to be mm. able to survive even if we're not there. So it's it's very deep. It's it's a it's an evolutionary, uh, you know, hardwired thing to enjoy once your child does something independently. And we've taken this away from parents by saying you have to be with your kid every single second. So once we separate the parents from the child once or twice or three times, whether it's through independence therapy or the Lecro project or just doing it on your own. Everything changes. And that's why I'm I'm talking to you in New Zealand. That's why I've been talking about the same thing for 15 years, because it's free, it's fast, and it changes the entire world for your child and yourself and their future. So I recommend doing it. Can I ask one final question, which is what if, oh, yeah. how do you answer that? What if something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, Camilo, the uh, the psychologist says that is what you want. <laughs> so another one of the kids was a 10-year-old, and she decided to take a bus. I know it sounds like everybody's doing public transportation, but she wanted to take a, a local bus ride. This is the, the suburban bus in Long Island. And she got on the bus, and she's looking at her phone, and something went wrong with the phone. And she had no idea, oh, my God, when am I supposed to get off? There's no map. You know, everybody's so dependent on their phones. And so she didn't know what to do. So she turned to the stranger next to her and, and it was a lady and she said, oh, well, here, let me look it up on my phone, whatever it is. And they figured out where she had to get off and everything was fine. And this is a girl who was, um, you know, whose parents had brought her to the therapist because she had not been able to sleep in her own bed. She was too afraid to sleep in her own bed. So on the day, this is, this is from the psychologist, not me making it up. On the day that she had this thing go wrong, what if something goes wrong? Something went wrong. She was lost. She didn't know where to go. She had to talk to a stranger. She was, she was, uh, you know, upset. Um, on that day, she came home, and that night she went to bed in her bed, and she did it for the next couple of nights. And I think she kept doing it after that, but I didn't keep asking. Mm. But the point is that that was the best thing because there was such a giant discrepancy between oh my God, I can't do something. And if I try it, something will go wrong. And if it goes wrong, it'll be a disaster. And all those things happened and it wasn't a disaster. That's like getting a superpower into your life because you've previously thought that you are this fragile, breakable, um, you know, near death object, <laughs> right? And now you are a kid who can go, oh, that that screwed up, but here's what I'll do. Or if it screws up, I'll be fine. And and that's like, that's a superpower. That's the power to go out there in the world. And so I'd say you want something to go wrong. And, um, you know, that's it. Uh, pray for, pray for um, an experience. What a pleasure to talk to you. Lenore Skenazy is founder of the nonprofit Free Range Kids and president of Let Grow. She mentioned that Let Grow website where you can find a number of tools and ideas on this topic. Lenore, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you down there, Jesse.